Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can your fixed income stand the test of time? Markets change, but the role of fixed income shouldn't. That's why for more than 40 years, MFS has stayed true to our traditional approach. We call it essential fixed income. Find out more at mfs.com slash fixed income.
Excita, Beyond the Gates of Doom. Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is February 10th, 2019. We got a great show for everybody tonight. The Rev Jones will be calling in live first in about a half hour. And we have Carmine Peace in the second half of the show. This was the last Exciter record uh, with the original, you know, lineup of the three of them. Uh, Long Live the Loud. It was a solid album from back in 1985. After that, John Ricci would uh, leave the band or part the band or get kicked out of the band. Everybody has a different side to what happened. But to me, the band was never the same after that. You know, John had, there was a, there were times when Dan Behiller had the band going without John and other members. There were times when John had the band going without Dan on drums and vocals. And as much as Dan Beal is, to me, is the voice of Excited, and it doesn't sound like Excited without him, Excited put out some great records when he wasn't in the band. I never li- I never really looked at those records like they were classic Excited records, and I just took it for, like, what it was at the time. You know, Kenny Winter was a, a really good vocalist. He's got something cooking right now. I think we're going to talk to Kenny real soon. Uh, but those albums were solid albums. I mean, even before Kenny was in the band, um, when Jacques was singing with the group, there were some really good songs. That's due to the songwriting of John Ricci. I mean, you know, like I said, without Dan on vocals, it doesn't sound like excited, but those are good records. This is what I felt about Black Sabbath. A lot of those things they put out in the 80s uh, after uh, Ozzy and Dio out of the band, I thought they were some great records. I never really considered them Black Sabbath albums, but they were good albums. So I'm curious to see what the band's going to come up with. I think it's a big loss losing John. I don't know how it happened this time around. You would think after like... 40 years of knowing each other, having your ins and outs, your problems, the good and the bad times. At this point in time when there's, you know, a little bit of a, a resurgence in the scene and a lot of these festivals and, and other places are hiring the band to go out and play, you know, you think they would just kind of keep their shit together. Like, all that crap from the past wouldn't come up again, but I guess it has or it did, and uh, John's out once again. So we'll have to see what happens with the group and the new record. Songwriting-wise, unless he was involved in the songwriting process, I don't see it being as well. If you listen to Dan's solo records or his Beeler albums, you know, he always said that they're sort of like in the Excited vein, but they sounded nothing like Excited. They were way off the mark. All right, let's keep the music flowing here. How about Killing Machine in the storm? Within yourself 
some racer x boy love those guys they should have been bigger than they were so many bands should have been bigger than they were back in the day you know it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time and having that little bit of luck because you see a lot of crap out there these days you've seen a lot of crap out there through the history of music you wonder how they got there compared to somebody who really could play and have great records but that's the way of the world right all right we're gonna talk to rev jones in about 10 minutes we'll uh a little news, I guess, a little catching up on what's going on out there. What is he my saying? We're counting down the days to the new INC. It's coming soon, buddy. Don't worry about it. I think we're going to be talking to Eric in, in a couple of weeks on the band. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to go through the entire new uh, Indestructible Noise Command record. That song last week kind of left me uh, a little torn and tatted, uh, but I'll get to it this week. Uh, but I saw it's something I'm really excited about. You know, I, I rant and rave on here all the time about you know, these bands reuniting with no with no original members, or basically no original lineup, maybe just a drummer and a bass player. And I put up a little post about that on Facebook last week. I got a lot of emails and a lot of messages from bass players and drummers that weren't happy. And listen, I'm a bass player myself, so I, I'm not making – I wasn't saying anything derogatory about it. I was just getting to the point that having a, a band reunite with just one of those members and not the singer or the guitar player or anybody else in the band, I, it's not something I'm interested in personally. Oh, hang on a second. I think we got the Rev on the line. Let me uh, connect and we'll chat about this a little later. Rev, Hello. this is Mike. Can you hear me? Yeah, what's happening? What's going on, buddy? How are you today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm talking to you. How bad can I be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, listen, brother, great job on the Backwash record. You know, people say, why did it take so long for this to come out? But when you look at everything you've been doing over the last 30 years, yeah. you, know, you can kind of see why. Yeah. I, I, I never really had a chance to uh, to do it. Every time I would start, uh, I would, or I'd get the idea to do it, something else would pop up. And next thing you know, you're, you're 100 years old and... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I guess that. Did I write a song? Uh, so. <laughs> was this all stuff that you just were recently working on uh, to get out on this record, or are these things that you've been like, you know, kind of tinkering with over the years? Uh, well, a, a couple of the songs. There's like two or three songs that I actually wrote back in '94. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna put a band together called Backwash, and uh, the the guys that I was jamming with kind of flaked a little bit, you know, and. So it never happened, and they didn't. Those three songs didn't fit in anything that I did after that, you know. So they just kind of, as Gene Simmons would say, they were in the vault. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'd actually, you know, I, I didn't plan on even putting an album solo out, but I just, uh, you know, whenever I'm home off the road, I'd always do Red Jones shows. You know, we play some, you know, Mountain and some MSG and Still Hard and, you know, other cool stuff. And so I'd actually was re-recording them so the guys that play with me could learn them, you know, so we could start doing them. And, uh, I, whenever I got, uh, I called Jim Dawkins to do the solos on the, and, uh, he talked me out of, you know, I was just going to give it away on my website. And, you know, I, cause I didn't really, I didn't really think it that, you know, it was that great, you know, I mean, that there were good songs, but I, you know, I wasn't thinking in that mindset, you know, I was more like just one to, you know, play him yeah and he, he he talked me into you know doing a full album he said you know he, he heard something there so and i'm glad he did you know so then i just basically at that point i had to you know write write some more songs so i had to just you know kind of buckle down and you know i had i got a million riffs that i've never used that i 
every time I open a folder on on a hard drive, it's there'll be like two hundred song ideas. <laughs> Gotta keep it going. I, if I listen, yeah, I listen to about five minutes of it. I'm going, oh god, god. <laughs> but <laughs> well, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm pretty happy. I'm I'm pretty happy shouldn't. with it. You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's a great it's, sound you know, record. It's got a, yeah, it's I mean, it's funny because it's uh, it, and people are. are kind of catching what I've been, I've been saying the whole time is that it's not really one style it's just my style you know it's like it's kind of it sounds like everybody ever listened to you know uh it's and it's kind of a good thing that I didn't you know set down to write an album you know because that's I think that's the problem with some bands is they set down to write an album and they know exactly what they want it to you know they want it to be an album about this and they want it to sound like this and you know uh and it blurs your uh, creativity, you know, because you can only, you know, you if you want to sound like Nickelback or Metallica or you know Slayer, whoever, you know, you're gonna write the songs that sound like that. And I was thinking more from the like the Queen side of it, you know, you know, you listen to a Queen album and you can't say it's one style, you know, they got some kind of weird, yeah, know, it's all over the weird place. Yeah. broad, yeah, Broadway thing, and then the next song is some heavy, you know, riff yep. or some prog riff, you know, so it's like. That's kind of how I always thought about, you know, my me writing. You know, it's kind of you, you're going to hear a little bit of everything in it. You know, and I, I think that's a great way of writing. I mean, you know, sometimes you know you'll have yeah. certain fans that want to hear, you know, a certain sound. But you know, when you're all over the place like that, and you do it right and you do it well, you know, you find your audience. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, it, and you never know. It's like you know, if you try to do that one thing, and you try to stick to that one format, and it's already been done. You know, it's it's going to get boring, you know, and you might, by, you know, being more creative, you might click into that, that one thing. I mean, the next big thing might be a country band with Tom Arias singing, you know, <laughs> yeah. until you, sure. until you hear it. Yeah. I mean, until you, you hear it, know. you don't know, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how every, everything's happened, you know, so far in the, you know, in music, it's that, you know, this, you, you put the chocolate in the peanut butter. You know, yeah, <laughs> I hear that. Well, well, you know, Rev, one, one yeah. of the first bands I got into that you in was Legion Marcher from back in the yeah. mid '80s. I remember getting that demo tape, and you know, you were part of that Oklahoma scene. Which, you know, when you think about it, back then, no internet, no way of getting your music out there. I would think yeah. you'd be kind of isolated. But a lot of great bands. I mean, Forte, you were part of Power Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So many other great bands came out of that area. But yeah. was it limiting to someone who really wanted to become a musician to stay there? Well. Well, you know, the thing is, is that uh, we had no connections. We had no money, you know, so there was, there was, I mean, I knew, I knew other bands from Oklahoma that had had money. So they went out to LA to make it big, you know, and none of them play music now, <laughs> you know, they made it big in whatever they did, <laughs> but they didn't play yeah. big music, you know, but we, I mean, that, that Legion Marcher, uh, I was, we were, I was like 16 and the other guys were 17. And I've been playing a year. We wrote all those all those songs, and we didn't even have enough money to record them. Uh, we broke up, and our like the, our two roadie guys uh, that had jobs because they were grown ups. <laughs> they they found a studio where it was two hundred dollars. You got two hours, and you got to do two songs, and they gave you two cassettes. And they they paid for it. We went in and did. Uh, we played one take through each song. And they went back and, you know, did their solos on top of it and mixed it. We were done in 40 minutes. And we couldn't wow. add another song because we didn't have another $100, you know. <laughs> and 
but we had so we had these cassette copies. So I actually have the best copy of all of them, uh, and mine's probably a twentieth generation copy. And because everybody else lost theirs or played them, you know, until they stopped working. And yeah. uh, I I was lucky that I I was one of the early people getting computers and stuff. So I you know I pulled them off that cassette onto my onto a hard drive years ago. You know, so but you know it was good stuff. I mean, had we you know had connections and stuff, we would have probably we could have probably got signed and then got all strung out on drugs and <laughs> had no careers. You know, because <laughs> we were little kids. You know, we didn't know any better. But, yeah, sure. Well, well, yeah, well but, you know, one of the forte, right? Yeah, yeah. They, and we were, they were actually around the same time, and it was kind of like we took all the best guys from all the bands and made, you know, like two or three other, you know, like big bands around here. And uh, I was in forte for probably '89 to uh, I think I quit in '95. Uh, and you know, it was the same deal. We were so big around here. You know, we would, we couldn't get record. You know, record deal or anything, but we were selling five thousand demos and you know pulling eight nine hundred people to local shows. And but it was speed metal, so nobody, uh, nobody cared. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember uh, uh, this this guy that worked for Capital at the time. He uh, he wanted to sign us, and our, a friend of ours was his uh, assistant. He was A and R guy there, and. Capital released this Rigor Mortis album, and which I was friends with Rigor Mortis, you know, and I couldn't believe they got signed to Capital because they were, you know, it was Mike Scotchia from Ministry, so all the songs were just like super, super thrash, you know. Yeah. And they, the story was that they they did half of the record, then they went and did cocaine, and then they did the other half at a different studio, and one one side was digital, one side was analog, and it. And then it bombed. It sounded awful, and then it bombed, you know, because it was thrash. I mean, who, you know, it's 1989. Who's going to listen to that kind of thrash on that big of a, you know, of a mainstream thing? So the, the guy in Capitol, the uh, president or whatever, said no more heavy metal. So nobody could sign any metal bands, you know, or they'd get fired. <laughs> and the only wow, reason what? the guy that wanted to – the guy that wanted to sign us, the only reason that he – didn't get fired right away because he signed Megadeth and they were successful, you know. Yeah. Well, that'll so, do it. You know, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's just kind of funny that I, after that point, I didn't, I didn't ever even thought about getting signed and be, you know, we just played. We like playing, you know, and I'd watch Pantera do three, four albums and, you know, not get a record deal. And, you know, it's like all the, all these guys that we knew and, you know, Ratchet America. It's like nobody's getting record deals. Then all of a sudden, they all got signed. <laughs> you know, and some of them took off. Oh. You know, you know, Rev. Over the years, I mean, I I can't even name the bands that you've played in or gone out on tour with. There's just way too many. But you've stepped into a lot of like really established bands, like with Michael Shanker and Mountain and Leslie West. Uh-huh. When you step into a, a situation like that, whether it's for touring, a, a permanent member, recording an album, how much freedom do you have to do what you want to do in a band that got kind of, you know, you got like Leslie and Michael, the real dominant figures, like what they want. Do they let you do your own yeah. thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, especially Leslie. I mean, if you're on stage with Leslie, whether it's Mountain or just the trio with me and him and Bob, Bobby Rondinelli, it's nothing is, uh, it's all improvised, everything. You know, there's no set way that it needs to be you know Leslie's the guy that'll look at me and want me to 
why aren't you playing more? You know, start yelling yeah. at me because I'm not overplaying, you know. And uh, so, it's, I mean, it's cool because being, being the kind of bass player I am, you know, before I ever played with Leslie, I, you know, studied all that, you know. I knew exactly how Felix played, you know. Or Jack, yeah. you know, played on all that West Bruce Lang. And, and I never learned the songs, like, exactly the same. And I don't play the same, but you would think it's the same because it sounds like Felix playing it, you know. That it, the same kind of feel, you know, and uh, you know, I love that. Leslie, you know, Leslie loves that. Shanker always loved uh, the way I played, and he always loved the craziness about me because I was replacing basically Pete Way, who was one of my idols back then, you know. Yeah. You know, and he loved it because he doesn't move. You know, he just kind of stands there, and you know, I move yeah, around. No. It makes it. Wow, he just moved. No, he didn't. The other guy moved. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's. You know, I've I've never had a band really that uh, where I was limited on what I you know could play or whatever. I, I kind of passed on some bands that I probably would have, you know. But uh, you know, I I was lucky that by the time I got playing with you know Shaker and all them, I'd grown up enough in my uh, head to know that you don't have to play a million notes. You know, sometimes it's better to play one note and then do a little you know three second burst of something is so much better than if you solo the whole time, you know, and as, sure. long as, the, as long as it makes the song sound good, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, ah, that's, that's not how it is, but I, uh, I grew to learn to appreciate the song instead of, you know, look at me, look at me. Uh, I, I was just going to say that, you know, is that a lesson you have to learn where the song is the priority and not your ability because you're an amazing bass player. You can go off on a tangent anytime you want and it's going to sound yeah. great, but you know, sometimes people want to hear the song, you know, for what it is. And you know, and it's, it's, it's like a lot of people, a lot of fans, you know, of Shaker fans that didn't like me for a long time. When I, you know, I had the dreadlocks on my hair, they were always spinning in a circle like a helicopter. And I really couldn't control that. That's just kind of, you know, it who you are something that happened. Yeah. It, it, and they, I used to always see them, you know, they hated it because it would distract them. And I just laughed because, you know, if you go to a show and something's distracting you and it's making, it's running the show for you, you're an idiot. If you keep watching that person, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if I go with the, and the drummer's doing a weird thing with his mouth, I'm not going to look at him no more, you know, but, yeah. uh, but you know, it's, it, you know, but I understand too, you know, it's like, you know, you have to, you have to be that way. Uh, otherwise, you know, it, otherwise you're, you know, you're, you're not treating the music, right? I mean, if, if you're just doing it, uh, you know, be a show off, look out what I can do, then, you know, you, you can be replaced easy. And like I used to tell people, you know, everybody's replaceable, care who it is. Uh, Cause you can say, well, this guy can't be replaced in that band. Well, yeah, he can. They might not keep all the fans, but they're still going to replace him and they're still going to make money, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so when you look at that mindset of it, and then you, and then like whatever I used to, you know, even about the Shaker thing, basically the guys that I'm replacing didn't play a lot. You know, I mean, Chris Glenn was great. He was an awesome bass player. But, you know, the majority of the stuff that in a Michael Shaker song is you're playing one note, you know. And so it's, you know, you're not irreplaceable, you know. So those kind of, those things help me. Uh, grow up in my head, you know, mature, I guess. And, you know, now it's like, I, I can't even believe that anybody would, you know, want to do that, you know, do the opposite, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. No, I completely get that. 
Yeah, but you know, but of course, now you, you I say that, then you're going to probably play one of my songs, and uh, it's going to be a bunch of bass licks. <laughs> Wait, you know, you're you're gonna go, on this record, he's not showing off. <laughs> nah, on, on this record, nah. you got you got Jim Dafka who worked on the album itself and played yeah. on it, and Jeff yeah. Martin, two people yeah. you've played a lot with on and off over the years. I mean, Jeff is actually yeah. on drums on this record, not singing. Uh, yeah. Jeff can do no wrong in my opinion, but what is it about these two guys that you like working with? Well, uh, actually, it is funny because Jeff is, uh, that was my starting domino, uh, uh, you know, everything's like a domino effect. It's, you know, you, you get this band, you beat this guy, you get this band, you beat this guy, whatever. And that's how I, that's how I hooked up with, uh, Michael Shanker was through Jeff. Uh, I joined a band called Black Symphony and Jeff was the drummer at, and, you know, then he left, and he went and played for UFO the last tour that Shanker did. And uh, so then that rolled over into an MSG album that he played on, and Michael told him to pick the bass player, you know. And so he picked me. I, I still had to, you know, come and jam with him and prove myself. But uh, so it, it's always been that. There's always been a thing there. So when he did his solo album, he had me play on it. We did another uh, blast of the static. We did that together uh, with the Australian guys, you know. So I've always loved to play with Jeff, you know, whether he's singing or playing drums, either one, you know. I mean, I just wish we could go play these songs together because, you know, both of us have been able to sing like that. It'd be, you know, it'd be like that that awesome deep purple whenever Glenn Hughes and Coverdale were there, you know. It'd be that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. That would definitely be pretty cool. I mean, I, I think the number four record was a black, uh, the last Black Symphony record, like ten or eleven years ago. Is, is it a dead project or band, or is it something that could stop? Yeah. <clears throat> now we, you know, the the first album was like '98. Uh, then we did the second album. We changed singers and and drummer. You know, Pete Holmes came in to the to the band, and in the next album it was great. It actually sold a ridiculous amount of copies that we never got paid for, and. So then we recorded a third album, and in the process of uh, trying to negotiate a deal, the singer quit. And we spent two years trying to find a singer. And meantime, on the meantime, me and Pete Holmes were playing with uh, Michael Shaker. So it, you know, the time kind of flew by. We finally found a singer, uh, wrote another album, and then that fell apart. <laughs> so then we had two albums. They were done, they were great songs on them, but we needed a singer, you know. So by the time they came, they came out the same day, I think, and I'd actually already quit the band before they came out. And you know, yeah, it was just a, it was a it was a dead thing, you know. Uh, I loved you know I loved Pete uh, Rick Plesser, the guitar player. It's his band. Loved the guy to death, but he, uh, when you start auditioning so many singers, you're never gonna find the guy. You know, because there were so many guys that were great that he, ah, he thought he'd find somebody better, you know. And yeah, that later on, you know, later on, I'd like, he passed on this guy, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you if you keep critiquing your album and oh, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. After about 20 years of doing that, that album is going to sound terrible, <laughs> you know. And I've seen a lot of people do that, you know. That's why on this, when I did this album, I didn't want to mix it, you know. I recorded all my parts and sang all the parts, and then I sent it to Jim Dolphin to mix because I didn't. I was scared that I'd start, you know, over mixing it, 
Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think Jim did a great job of it, you know. That he did. It's a great sounding record. Yeah. Are you going to try to get to get out on the road and play behind this if you can, or maybe one off shows? Is it possible? Well, you know, I mean, I actually, uh, I have a, I have a drummer and a guitar player here that, you know, we do, we go out and play. Like I said, we do, you know, songs from bands that I've been in, and we do all the songs from the album, and uh, you know, a few cool covers, and we play around here whenever I'm at home. Uh, but you know, and I'm try, I'm trying to get more shows outside of here you know i got some things working but uh and i then i if i could get uh a couple of these things working i'm gonna you know it'd be some one-offs with with jim and uh jeff martin definitely coming to play it you know but it's it's one of those things it's so hard because even i still you know every other month i'm on tour you know because i if i'm not if i'm not playing i i'm i go guitar tech for george thorogood and you know, which is, which is a great job too. You know, <laughs> so it's like I'm constantly, I'm constantly doing something. So it's you know, and in, in this day and age, it costs so much money to tour. You know, but the the plan is yes, definitely. Uh, you know, get out and do some shows because I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna do another album before the year's up. Oh, that's good. And, and I, I got I got Does life on singles. the road get tiring? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're always, well, you're always either, out on the road. I mean, does it get it? Do you ever get tired? Yeah. Well, you either love it or hate it. Nobody yeah. likes it. You you either love it or hate it. I I I grew I've grown so used to it. Single forever, you know. I mean, I, I, now I have I'm married and I have a two year old, you know, and I waited a lot of years to have a baby. <laughs> yeah. Know? And th- that was part of the reason was, uh, you know, I, I, and I wouldn't have appreciated it when I was younger, you know, and now it's like, now it's a little harder to be away from him, you know, but I've done it all my life. So it's so second nature, the way you think that some people are like, God, how could you be gone that long? And, you know, it's, I, I don't really know any other way, I guess, you know, is the way you explain it. It's like, if you, if you smoke cigarettes all your life, you know, and people would go, God, how how can you smoke cigarettes? Well, if you've done it all your life, that's all you you know. Yeah, that's all, all you know. know. Or or yeah, or anything. I mean, you know, if you're if you run every day, if you jog every day, and you've always done it. You don't know what it's like to not, <laughs> you know. So, you know, but I, you know, I dig it. It's you know, it's, but it's definitely an acquired uh, a way of living. <laughs> I can imagine. Hey, well, Rev, I'm not going to keep you, man. I want to play yeah. a couple of songs off the record, some of your other stuff, and we're going to get to our next guest, yeah. man. I hope you can make it to the New York area. I would love to see you up there on stage playing live again. Yeah, I, uh, I, we just did. I was there playing. We did a show with Leslie, uh, me and Bobby, uh, a couple of months ago, and hopefully there'll be another one, you know, coming up. He hasn't been playing very many shows, you know, and which is a shame. But so next, but next time we're up there, I'll definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot you a message so you can uh, come out and hang. That sounds great, Rev. The best of luck with the album, man. You did a great yeah. job on it. Thank Take you, man. Care, I appreciate buddy. it. Anytime. Yeah, bye-bye. bye-bye. Yeah. All right, let's get on some Rev Jones' Ring of Pain. <laughs> Thank you. 
Major March. I forgot how good that is, you know? There was only two songs on that demo tape, like the Rev was saying, but they were solid. That was on the fire. All right, we're going to get the Carmine piece in about uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, before the interview, I was talking about the festival, something I bitch about all the time, about these bands reuniting with just the bass players or the drummers. And I upset a few people last week, but like I was saying, I wasn't saying anything bad about bass players or drummers, but come on, I mean, if, you know, if, the, if Ozzy was been, you know, Ozzy's in the hospital right now. Um, he's got pneumonia, I guess, and bronchitis, so they got him in intensive care. Hope he gets better. As much as I don't really care for what Ozzy's been doing over the last 20 years, he's still Ozzy. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it's like, you know, God forbid Ozzy wasn't here anymore, or Ozzy wasn't performing anymore. That would be like, you know, one of the, it would be like Don Costa redoing the Blizzard of Oz, you know, because Don Costa played in the band for a short period of time. And who wants to go see Don Costa's Blizzard of Oz? Uh, you know, it was the same when uh, Bobby Blotcher was out there doing the rat thing, you know, Blotcher's rat thing uh, experience, whatever. I mean, people were going only because he was playing at a lot of festivals and a lot of shows where you know, he wasn't just the only draw. When he was just the draw, hardly anybody was there. Nobody wants to see that. They want to see Stephen Piercy or Warren Demartini or, you know, those guys on there. So, you know, but it seems like these festivals are content to just get one guy together and that's it. And sometimes shit happens, like with Cities and Keep It True three main members of the band, you know, uh, AJ Perra passed away. He couldn't be there, but replacing the drummer, not a big deal. But the other two guys, you know, the singer, Ronnie Angel and Steve, you know, had issues. They couldn't make it, but they're still going to put them on the cell. And I love Sal. He's a great guy, an amazing bass player. But people want to hear Ronnie Angel singing those songs. They want to hear Steve's guitar playing, you know, but people are content just to have that. You know, I know I bitch about this every week, but now Fifth Angel was scheduled for a festival and Kendall left the band. Whatever happened between them happened. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kendall uh, wasn't an original member of the group. He came in, I want to say, around 86. Uh, he was on the Time Will Tell record. So he wasn't a part of that uh, no, original Fifth Angel band. But he was part of the reunited lineup. You know, with Ken Mary and Ed Archer who were, and John Mako, who were all part of the original lineup. And even though that album didn't sound like classic Fifth Angels, it was a really good record. It was a great record, I'll, I'll come out and say. It just didn't remind me of Fifth Angel. It just sounded like a great metal record. I think if they gave the band a different name, you know, people would say, wow, this is really cool. But unfortunately, a new name band, even with classic members, doesn't sell and doesn't draw people to a show. So you got to go by the Fifth Angel name. But it was okay because, you know, they recorded that record with Kendall, who was part of that 80s lineup, and it was acceptable. He left the band now, so they brought in another singer who they said they were going to bring in anyway because Kendall can't do, I guess, the Ted Pilot stuff live. So that he was only going to perform the three songs off this record, and they were going to bring in a replacement singer who's nobody, nobody's ever heard of before, I guess, to do all the Ted Pilot stuff. But he's gone. He's still playing. To get to the point of getting at this, which I and rave about this more and all the time, is that Rome love these guys reuniting and in the banner that they put out saying you know realm it says original members they actually put it on the reunion banner that it's the original members of the band i guess i'm not the only one that feels this way now i mean it's getting out of hand and you know when metal in the 80s started going downhill uh, the 80s metal started going downhill in the late 80s because everything started becoming more of the same bands were content to just repeat themselves or repeat what other bands were doing and you know something else came along and it kind of you know you know it kind of killed it it's going to happen again. If people are content to just see a bass play or a drummer or even just a guitar play for a band without the singer who was a classic singer, you're going to kill the scene again. So I'm happy that Realm at least gets it. And they were like, you know what? Classic lineup, original lineup. <laughs> so I'm kind of thrilled about that. I mean, I hope it's more than just whatever they're going to do. Maybe just a, a one-off show where maybe they'll do more. I'm not really sure how that's going to work. 
But man, you know, uh, what was it? Suicidey was the last record in 1990. I hope we get new music by these guys. I hope they go out and play more often. But you're going to get that original classic rum lineup. So at least somebody's uh, on it. You know what I mean? Absolutely love that. And I'm thrilled about it. All right. Let's get back to music right now. Uh, How about we do some brand new Overkill? That shit crazy. I guess that kind of sums all this up. Everybody! 
Man, going back to that first record, that was Battle Axe from Burn This Town. The albums were released a couple of years ago. They did a nice job remastering them and putting it out. It was a pretty cool package. I believe it was that and the, and the Power from the Universe record. They, they came out together at the same time. Uh, no new music by the band since 2014. Uh, I know some of the members have had some medical issues. You know, it kind of happens as we get older. But hopefully they'll get back out there and put out some new music. It'll be pretty cool to hear that. All right. How about we, uh, you know what? Let's see what we'll do here. What time is it? It's about 10 after 7 here in New York, so we have just enough time to get on a King Cobra song. Then we'll talk to Carmine of Peace, do some of his music from his Guitar Zeus album, which was re-released. And then uh, we should be able to wrap up the show right after that. Well, on, a positive, on the positive side, there's a good note. Uh, Jeff Tate says that he only has one, maybe two records left in him, and he's done. So this torture should end within the next couple of years. So there's always something positive, right? Okay, how about some King Cobra? Knock them dead.
Cobra knocked them dead. That's for Paul Shortino on vocals, not Mark Free or Marcy Free today. That's the later version of King Cobra. All right, let's hear what Carmine had to say. Hang on. And this is Mike. How are you? Mike, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you today? <coughs> I'm good. A little coughing, but uh, other than that, I'm okay. All right. Yeah, well, if where, you're in New York, where, you know, where, where are you? I'm in New These days, Staten Island, originally Brooklyn. Oh, okay, yeah, but I, I'm I'm in L.A. right now. Uh, good yeah. for you. You're better off over there. I, mi- I missed, uh, I know, I missed all that uh, horrible weather you've had. I've been here since January 9th, you know. I missed yeah, all that it's... crazy weather. That's okay. Stay warm. Stay out there. You're better off. Come back in the spring. Well, well, well I'm, uh, I'm coming back Friday. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I had to do. I had to do. Um, I had to cataract surgery in my eyes, you know. And I did uh, the Nam show, and now that's done. And I'm also getting my house ready to sell because uh, me and Leslie are going to move to Florida. Ah, nice. It'll be warm year round for you. Yeah, we're gonna still keep the place in Manhattan, but uh, you know, come back and forth. But we're gonna have mostly, mostly Florida, uh, at least six months in, on the summer and the winter months. You know. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't blame <laughs> you one bit. <laughs> hey, but yeah. listen, I, I'm happy that I'm talking to you again today. And besides that, these two great albums that I remember picking up in like the mid '90s, they kind of went under right. the radar. They're getting re-released hey, now, and people are gonna hear yep. it for the first time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, it, it's it's a thing where I never really released it in America, right? It, it did really well in Europe and all over the world, Japan. You know, probably the two records sold 150,000 units back in the day, you know, worldwide. And then, um, yeah, I never really got it released here. I, I released it here in 2005 with a label. That as soon as they released it, they went out of business. You know? Yeah. So all they all they did was put it up on on YouTube, but nobody knew it was up there, you know? And then, uh, yeah. and then I tried again in 2011 with another, another label and they didn't do any promotion. I always wanted to get it promoted. Like I'm doing now with Muncie and a PR person. And another, I got another radio guy and a social media guy, you know? And so now we're promoting it, finally giving it a shot. And we, and I found a new track that was never released. And there's a few other ones that were never released here, especially, you know, and uh, I, I bounced a new track to uh, Pro Tools, and then I listened to it and it had everything on it except the guest guitar player. You know, so so I asked Bumblefoot if he would do it, and he said yeah, and he, I sent it to him, and he he did his part, and uh, it came out great. But then I needed some more heavy guitars, so my mixer named Stevie D. He's a great guitar player. We used him. Me and Vinny used him with. Some of our drum war shows, you know. Yeah. I asked him. To, I said, "Well, can you please put some heavier guitars in the in the on the riff just to make it a little heavier? And I need some fills at the end. So to to kind of um, <coughs> keep Bumblefoot and him separated, I put him on the right and the left of the mix. So the fills you hear on the on the end, on the right and the left is CVD, and then Bumblefoot starts the solo again in the middle. Oh, know? nice. But it came out great. And then I gave him the other songs to listen to to try and mix it the same way, you know. So he got a pretty good uh, pretty good mix on, on these, the new song to match the old song, you know. So I'm real happy with the way it all came out. 
Yeah, that's some other space you're talking about. They they all sound all the songs sound great, and I, and I think about the amount of guitar plays that you put together for this project back in the day, and this is kind of before it is now, like where you send people files and emails, and it goes back and forth. A lot of how was a lot of this stuff recorded back then? Well, a lot of <coughs> a lot of the stuff was recorded in L.A. in the studio, like Slash, Neil Sean, uh, Elliot Easton. Uh, Oh, well, Jennifer Batten. There's a bunch of them that were in at the actual studio that we recorded the tracks in. Uh, but then uh, I had to take the tapes to some people. Like I had to send a tape to, to Ryan May in England. I had to make a, a safety copy of the 24 track and send him the whole 24 track, you know, on the safety copy. And he did his parts on the 24 track. And then we took that and we bounced it to the master tape when he sent it back, you know? And uh, I went down to Florida to get Ingve. I went to Texas to get the uh, King's X guys. I went to, uh, to Michigan to get Nugent. And Nugent was funny. He's playing the guitar. He's got the guitar on. He's got a, a holster in the, uh, with, a, with a gun, a handgun in the back, <laughs> in the back of his belt. It, you know, I got some videos somewhere of this stuff. I'm going to try and locate it, <clears throat> you know, because it was, Hilarious, you know, to see that, you know, and uh, yeah, so it, some of it was thrown away. I remember Paul Gilbert did it on ADATS, you know, he did it yeah. on ADATS, and uh, and a couple of the Japanese guys that are on it. I did a, a version called Katarzy's Japan, and it was funny when I did it because uh, the guy who uh, now plays bass with a Yes was the engineer. I forgot his name, Billy, uh, Billy, Billy something. And uh, he, he looked at me. I had, a, I had like three piles of, of 24 tracks. And he said, well, look, you're going to go to Japan and do this. Do you want to take that? Or do you want to take this? And he held an ADAT in his hand. And he stuck it in his pocket with all the tracks on it. <laughs> I said, I think I'll take the ADAT. Otherwise, yeah. Because you know, things are heavy. Okay. Oh, Hold yeah. on. That's what I'm saying. All right. So you we're not live, right? No, we're recording. All right, so what time you be back? Yeah, I'm also moving my house here. I'm selling it, and I, I got just a garage full of boxes to put in the locker until I buy something in Florida. Yeah, <clears> you know, so, keeps yeah, you busy. Doing all that today. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, so there's a little bit of everything to to get this album done. Not like today, you know. Yeah, it's a lot easier today with all the technology we have. But in a way, I mean, you know, I think about all the guitar plays you had on here. I mean, was there anything that when you got there, there was such a headache you didn't want to deal with them, or did everything kind of go smooth? No, no, it was really, it really was smooth. You know, it was really smooth. The good thing about it was the um, uh, the way I planned it. You know, when I did this thing, I I. I when I had the idea, you know, I, I ran into Brian Way somewhere, you know? And when I ran into him, I said, hey, I'm planning to do this, like, guitar album. Would you be interested in, uh, you know, playing on it for me, with me, you know? And, and that, that was a real embryo stages, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, I didn't have a, I didn't know Tony Franklin was going to be on it yet. This was just like when I had the concept. You know, the concept came from when I was with Bob Daisley and Joel and Turner and, and Jeff Watson, we had Mother's Army out. And we, didn't, we were looking for a name. We were calling it Zeus. And Jeff Watson had just come out of Night Ranger, got a solo deal. 
I said, man, you guys are lucky. The drummers are so hard to get solo gears. Maybe I should do a guitar album. I'll call it Guitar Gods or Guitar Zeus. You know, and I was just kidding around. Yeah. And I actually went to bed that night. I, I started thinking about it. I said, well, that's a good idea, you know. So then I, I tried to figure out how to do it. So my first thing was to get some guys on board. So I got Brian May on board. I ran into Ted Nugent somewhere. He said he would do it, you know. And I talked to the guys in King's X because at the time in the mid-'90s, they were hot. Everybody loved King's X, you know, and yeah. all the musicians loved them. You know, so I said, I knew they were Cactus fans, and I met them on the Blue Murder Tour. We became friends. So they, you know, I asked Doug and Ty if they would play on it and sing on it, and they both agreed. So I figured, well, if I, once I get these guys on it, then hopefully other people will hear about it, and uh, it'd be easier to get. And that's what happened. So yeah. I, I, I told everybody that Brian's going, going on it. Ted, I already got, you know, then... When uh, Ingve heard that Brian and Ted and the, and the, and the guys from uh, King's X are on there, he was working with Kelly Keeling on a track, my singer. He said he wanted to do it. He wanted to be on the track with Doug Pinnock, you know, because he loved Doug Pinnock's voice. So we said, okay, we could arrange that. Just like when I got Mick Mars on, I told him Edgar Winter was going to be on it. He said, I want to be on the track with Edgar Winter. So it was really kind of crazy combinations, you know. So yeah, it was. But, but so that's works. how it happened, and it was all a domino effect, you know. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, why would a drummer want to focus on guitar players, especially you being the drummer, such a famous drummer? Now I, I get why, because I guess you felt at the time it might not have been interesting, like like a strictly drum record, like you could do now with drum wars and with your brother and stuff. Right, but but even so, you know, back in that day, <clears throat> I figured, you know, a drummer doing a guitar record, I can. I could do interviews with guitar magazines, with drum magazines, rock magazines. Yeah. And it, it would be across the board kind of uh, a kind of thing, you know, and I thought oh, that might be cool. And it, it actually worked out because when I did all the press back in the old days, I, you know, there was like a guitar magazine that says, Eddie Van Halen on this. And I said, come on a piece on guitar juice and the front cover of a guitar magazine. <laughs> so it, exactly what I thought was going to happen, happened. And that's why that was in Europe and Japan. I mean, the album went to number eight on the burn charts in Japan, you know, which is, uh, that was like the heavy rock chart of Japan. Yeah. So it it did really well there and it did really well in Europe. And I sold over 50,000 just in Europe, another 10,000 in, in, uh, of the first album of the, uh, in France, I did another 10,000. So I did 60,000 units just in Europe and another, another like, um, of 40,000, 30,000 in, in Japan. And then when we did the second one, I did another like 40,000 worldwide. Then I did Guitars of Japan, which sold another 20,000 in Japan, you know? So yeah. it was a very successful uh, run of, of Guitars of stuff, but I never got it out here, you know? And it's never been on any of the platforms, the digital platforms, you know? So True. So basically, now you get that release. Yeah, so now on, on Spotify and all the digital platforms, there's 33 tracks, you know, with the new ones. There's 33 songs with all the different guitar players. There's a couple of doubles, you know, like Nugent and Neil Sean was a double. You know, they both played on both albums. Uh, but you got, you know, you know, Slash. And, you know, the other, the other thing is that made me want to release it here now 
When I did this in 95 and 97, Brian May wasn't with Queen. There was no Queen going around. Yeah. Neil Sean wasn't with uh, Journey. Slash wasn't with uh, Guns N' Roses. Dweezil Zappa was just Frank's son, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, Zach Wilde wasn't a solo artist. He was just playing with Ozzy, you know? So now everybody's career has, has exploded again. And I have these guys on my album, you know? So I said, I was talking to Robert DePold from Primary, Primary Ways, who's the, you know, the social media guy, you know? And he's the one that told me, if you're going to release this, I said I was going to get another catalog deal with another label just to get it out again so people could buy it, you know, if they want it. But I, I still wanted to promote it, you know, <clears throat> and do the right thing by it. And he said, you should be your own label and release it online, you know, with all the, all the um, digital platforms with your own label, you know, that way you have control of it. I said, okay, that's a good idea. But nobody wanted to, you know, buy the catalog deal without without the uh, the rights online, you know, the digital rights. So sure. I have my own little label called Rocker Records, you know, that I've released a bunch of stuff on. And so I said, well, you know what? I'll release the CD on Rocker Records and I wouldn't have vinyl on Rocker Records. And we'll market it direct to the audience through uh, Merch Now and Pledge Music and a company called uh, Baker & Taylor, which is like a sort of a distributing company, you know. So that's what we did. So now we have the the 33 tracks on all the digital platforms. We got 12 tracks on the CD, and there'll be eight tracks on the uh, on the vinyl. The vinyl is being made up now. And I believe February 1st on Friday we're going to release the uh, – Lyric video to go with Mother Space, you know. And I got, you know, I got two uh, radio promotional people. I got everybody working it, you know. I'm doing a lot of interviews. It's getting a lot of awareness. I I was uh, pumping it up at the Nam Show and uh, at the Calzone Anvil booth in Anvil Cases, and uh, you know, so so far so good. Yeah, it sounds it. Do you feel like you have to work harder today on the promotional part of it than you did years ago where kind of the record label took care of all that? Well, you definitely have to work harder because in the old days, like my first solo album, it came out in 1982. I had 100 stations playing my record. You know, I sold 110,000 copies in America. I just barely made the top 100. You know, and that was you know, 110,000 units, 110,000 units, you know? Yeah. Now, if you sold 110,000 units, you'd be number one, you know? It's true. <laughs> but, you know, you had radio. People turn on the radio, they hear the song on the radio. Now, they have to, you know, they're using the Spotify's radio, a lot of people. Even, a, a, I mean, a lot of the older crowd don't use it, you know? But yeah. The, uh, you know, the crowd, like, you know, 50 and under, you know, everybody's on, they're all on Spotify and Pandora. I mean, I don't even belong to Spotify. Same here. Because because of the fact that the artist payment to Spotify when they pay the artist is so cheap. I mean, I I hear that when you, I think it's when you sell a million downloads on Spotify, it's worth four grand. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Crazy, you know, it's crazy. But it's good if you got like a, like a, you know, a big song. Like, what's that guy, Kanye West? We almost had a vanilla fudge 
sample on one of his records that was he did 130 million uh, Spotify downloads and Pandora and all that. 130 million. Okay, then you're talking about some money, you know. But it's still not. You know, when you, when you used to sell a million records, you used to get two bucks a record. You make two million dollars. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, but now, so that so the record labels are looking at Spotify as as the radio. You know, the only difference is anybody can program what they want to hear, and and the, the secret to Spotify is trying to get on the, the playlist that Spotify put out. You know, which we're trying to do. You know, and uh, you know, once you get on the playlist, that's what that's why Greta Van Fleet made it. So big and so quick, you know, because Spotify put them on on all their main rock lists, like in the top five or the top ten. So then somebody orders, uh, I want to hear a uh, you know rock list, they will get that, and, and Greta Van Fleet will be on it. You know, the, so, the goal is to try to get on those playlists. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, try it's and get so on different. the playlist, and it's a whole different ball game now. But at least yeah. now we're. We're, we're trying, you know, we're promoting it so people can go on Spotify and download it and listen to it and, you know, go on my website, com. and they can buy copies of it, which I'll autograph, you know, and, you know, and Baker and Taylor are going to put it in some mom and pop stores and some stores that still do CDs and, and vinyl. And, you know, we got, uh, I got some people like you, like today I have about 10 radio stations I'm, I'm doing. Uh, next week I'm doing another. I'm doing one of those uh, premier satellite radio uh, radio tours. You know, we go in yeah, and talk yeah. to 15. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the USA Network. I'm doing this and that. So, you know, we're still lining up a lot of interviews, and it's a long process today. You know, it's not like uh, it used to be before. You release the record. If it ain't happening in a month, you're done. You know, now it's a long process. Now it's just yeah. you keep building on it, keep releasing press releases and and stuff on uh, you know, on the social media and all that stuff. You know, it, so it far it's so a, good. Yeah, it's a whole different world today. If you know, Carmen, I'm not going to keep you because I know you got a whole bunch of these things to do today. I give you a little break in between this one and the next okay. one. The album right. sounds great, man. It sounded great in the '90s. It sounds even better now, and I know people are going to hook onto this one here in the U.S. Yeah, I think so too, and. Uh, we, uh, you know, we did remaster it all too, so it's a has a little little bit of a different sound, a little more, you know, modern technology mastering it and all that, you know. Sounds so, great to record, good. man. All good. You man. got it, buddy. All you right. take care out I there. Good luck well. with the move. I'll see you. Okay. Soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.
online apathies. Uh, I know a lot of people won't like that. It's a little too grungy. Mother Space off the guitars of this record from back in the day. I want to thank Carmine for being our guest tonight. The Rev Jones. We got a great show for everybody next week. Sky Price of Desire. And Rick Altsy from Master Plan will be our guest next week. So don't forget to tune in. We're going to have a great show. We're going to do a couple of more songs. We'll wrap it up here tonight. Nothing else really you know, going on to talk about. Uh, so uh, we'll just stick to the music for the last 10 or 15 minutes. Let's uh, do a little New York metal right now. Here's Mean Streak with Searching Forever.
Persian Risk with Rip It Up. I want to thank our guest, Rev Jones, a calm mind of peace, for being on tonight's show. We'll see you guys next week with Master Plan and Desire. I think we got one more, yeah, we got one more week left in February, right? The 24th. I believe Tony Harnell is on the show. He's got a Starbreaker project going on right now. We'll talk to him about that in TNT. And I believe Chris Caffery is on the show. So, great way to close out the month of February. Right now, we're going to close out tonight's show with a little sabotage by the grace of the witch. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. 
And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.